0: Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio.
1: Thank you, Brian. As always, it's great to be here on the Greatest Games Podcast with you. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. It could be their time as a high school coach, Uh, college coach, uh, AAU coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game.
0: I was waiting for another acronym out of you, Chris, but uh, we'll we'll just go with what you got right there. Uh, You know what? We're approaching our 50th episode, and we're bringing out another big gun here for the Greatest Games podcast. Our guest today, he was a state championship-winning high school coach, but you know him best as a highly successful Division I coach, including a 2017 trip to the Final Four Today, we have South Carolina Gamecocks head coach, Frank Martin. Coach, welcome to the podcast.
2: What's up, boys? Great to be here with you.
1: It's awesome to have you here, Coach. Uh, coach, just before we get into it, I see your guy, uh, it looks like your guy Udonis Haslam is hanging it up.
2: Did he announce
1: that he's done? I think they, they had kind of hinted at it, that, that this was going to be his last year the other night in the final game, the final regular season game.
2: Yeah, he uh, uh, when last summer uh, before he decided to do one more year, um, he he kind of let me think that I'm done. I'm gonna play one more, and and am moving on to, to whatever the next chapter is. And uh, so I, I know this. He he's he's done a lot in business in the community of Miami. Uh, uh, he's he's a community leader. Uh, he he uh, like i'll give you an example uh, one of his businesses is he's opened uh, a coffee shop uh, in the neighborhood he grew up in like a Starbucks in a neighborhood that he grew up in and uh, he only hires people from the neighborhood and he trains them and employs them and um, he's uh he's phenomenal man it's it, to, to look back when he you know fifteen years old and 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 to see the driven Uh, Always had a great heart and great family, great values. Um, uh, But to see the man that he became and and, uh, um, uh, just the drive to help and succeed, it's – it's pretty powerful. He's going to keep impacting people in a positive way, whatever whatever he decides to do next.
1: Yeah, I've, I've always followed his career. When I was at South Carolina, he was you know playing in Florida, and and he worked his butt off to get to the league, and has now had a what fifteen year career. And, right, you can tell that uh, that he's a guy who has a great uh, a great drive and a great heart. But. Uh, I just figured I'd mention that because it's a little topical. But, Coach, why don't you take us through your resume, your coaching resume, and how you got to where you are now as the head coach of South Carolina?
2: It's uh, it's one of those situations where I um, uh, wanted to play college basketball, got cut, wasn't good enough, uh, um, end up tearing up my knee a year after high school uh, while still trying – uh, to get in shape, to, to play college basketball. So then I just quit school in general, uh, went to work full time. Uh, I've always had jobs, but now I committed to working at a bank full time. I would taken my real estate license exam and uh, my high school coach called me up and said, uh, uh, what's the, I keep hearing that you quit school. And I said, yeah, I'm done. Uh, he's, go, he's like, no, you got to go back. And I was like, eh, I'm just going to work and help my mom and um, – and then he said, come by and see me. I still lived in the neighborhood. And and uh he said, Come by and see me, and I did. And and he was like, You know, Frank, all these all these guys respect you too much and uh you, you have too much to offer. Why don't you just help me coach? I said, Coach? I'm 19 years old. I'm I'm like miserable right now because my dream of playing just went out the window and uh I just wanna make money and work and and and, and Let's uh, uh, reminisce a little bit now. It's 1985. That's when South Beach first boomed. So uh, I'm working nights and, and working at a bank during the day. And I'm 20 years old, 1920. So you know where your mind is at at that time, time period. And, um, but I did. I said, all right, I'll come by. I'll help you out. And, uh, and away we went. And uh, uh, I fell in love with coaching. And uh, so a year later, I went back to college, uh, part-time, worked, uh, got my degree, became a math teacher. Um, uh, In the summer of 2000, um, uh, decided to take a chance and moved to Boston, took an assistance job at Northeastern University to go work for Rudy Keeling, uh, who was honest with me when when he met with me. He said, Frank, uh, we have to win 16 games next year or I'm getting fired. Um, if you don't want to come, don't come. But that's the situation that we're in. I said, I'm in. And uh I just I it was just time. I was tired of the uh I think you know, Brian lives it every day. Uh and I'll say it, he doesn't need to agree with me or make a comment on it, but the politics of public schools uh on a daily basis had just worn on me. And I was in this inner city. I, I was in the same, you know, it's my neighborhood and and, and the power of uh, uh, what education is all about, which is teaching respect, discipline, work ethic, values that you need to succeed, had been pushed aside uh, to just get kids to pass a test, so then the school can have a letter grade uh, that's a passing score. Uh, so the 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 purpose of schools, which I believe is the the whole education, uh, had been kind of pushed aside to uh, to. Politicize um, uh, what exactly was taking place in the school, and I I got tired of of that phoniness. There's no other way to word it, and and I said the heck with it. So I took the job, uh, making twenty eight thousand dollars a year, uh, and moving to Boston, and um, uh, and we won fifteen, not sixteen, and that was. I took the job in late August of two thousand. Uh, so first week in March, our season ends, we had 15 wins a week later, uh, we're all fired and, you know, they gave us two weeks pay and said, thank you for everything. Good luck. Uh, appreciate it. And, uh, you know, maybe are maybe I'll pass or cross again one day, uh, interviewed for a bunch of jobs. Uh, couldn't, couldn't come even close to sniffing a college job. Um, now is uh, late April. And, uh, I was prepared to move back to Miami and go back to school teaching and, and high school coaching. Uh, and, uh, the AD, the athletic director called me up and, uh, Ian McCaw's his name. And he said, Frank, uh, come see me. And I did, he said, listen, I'm getting ready to interview two guys. And, uh, one of which is Ron Everhart. And, uh, I want you to meet with him. And my plan is to hire Ron and my plan is to try and encourage Ron to keep you, uh, I went to my old boss and I explained it to him. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys, my, my life's around loyalty. And, uh, I went to the, my old boss that hired me that we had gotten fired. And I explained the phone call and he was great. You know, he's passed away tremendous human being Rudy killing. You know, he said, Frank, here's the deal. At the end of the day, I'd rather you coach somewhere else, but they owe me two years. So at least I'm making money for the next two years. Uh, if that's the only job you can get, I fully understand. Don't don't be stupid. Take the job if, if that's the only thing you can get. So I met with Everhart, small world. Uh, him and Bob Huggins are tremendous friends. Bob Huggins is one of my closest friends in the business at the time. Um, uh, he hired me. Ron got the job, hired me. Uh, stayed with Ron for three, years, three more years at Northeastern. Eventually went with Huggs to Cincinnati. Uh, year later, Hugs uh, gets terminated. Uh, Andy Kennedy and I uh, stay behind, AK's the interim head coach. Uh, that following March, Hugs gets Kansas State. Andy gets Ole Miss. Um, uh, to quote AK, Frank, you want to come to Ole Miss? Come on. But you know it's your turn to be Hugs's guy. And if if you come with me, Hugs will never speak to both of us again. And I, I was like, I fully understand. <laughs> I know how this works. And uh, so in which I had no problem. I love Hugs. He's like a big brother and, and uh, always looked out for me since I was a young high school coach. And uh, So away to Manhattan, Kansas, we went. And 11 months later, uh, John Beeline leaves uh, on a Monday, uh, leaves Morgantown to go to take the Michigan job. And uh, uh, I knew that that's the one job in the country that Hugs would leave K State for. And he did. Uh, two days later, I got named the head coach at K-State, and uh, um, five years, incredible years there, uh, just uh, tremendous people, um, uh, just great players, great administration, uh, fans are incredible. And uh, along came a mutual friend of all three of ours, uh, Eddie Fogler and his dear friend, Eric Hyman, and they uh, they basically recruited me. That... that I was the person uh, Eric didn't know this because he had never met me. Eddie did uh, the bottom line is i'm I'm one of the most stubborn i'm I'm smart, dumb, you know I'm dumb to where I think I can take every difficult path and figure out a way to make it work and uh, uh, but I'm also smart because I'm about people. I, I'm not about buildings or trophies or nonsense. I'm into people. And that's where my, I think my smartness comes from, that uh, those of us that know Eddie Fogler know that when he puts his name on something, it's real. It's not uh, – there's no uh, uh, BS behind it. And he put his name on Eric Hyman, and, and uh, uh, so that's all I needed to know. And then Eric Hyman just completely convinced me that I was the person he wanted for the job. Um, and, you know, and then took the job here eight years ago. Here's a, here's a great, great uh, deal about my head coaching career in college Five year at K State, and five or six weeks into my first year at South Carolina, uh, uh, Hyman leaves and Ray Tanner gets promoted. So that means in my first five years, I had six athletic directors, and uh, uh, so it it was uh, it was an interesting uh, journey to get started. Uh, But uh, but now we've you know I've had Ray Tanner with me for the last eight years, and he's been tremendous unbelievable man to work with and work for. Uh, Eric Hyman remains a, a dear friend and an advisor. Uh, and I get to play golf with Eddie Fogler, uh, which, which, uh, uh, get, uh, can, can you guys do a podcast with him? I mean, you know, I, uh, you know, hit that beep, beep, beep. <laughs> it's uh no, it's, it's uh and I keep, you know, Eddie and I meet for a cup of coffee, a couple times a month. And, Uh, To have him as a sounding board and uh, uh, just a friend uh, here in my same neighborhood that I live in here in in Columbia, it's uh, unbelievable. But then my time here has been incredible. Just uh, uh, to see our program go from where it was at eight years ago, uh, you know, I I use the word now. I couldn't use it then because it had been used against me in recruiting. Uh, But, you know, there was a sense of apathy towards uh, uh, Gamecock basketball between uh, on campus, forget the players. On campus, uh, the alumni, uh, the the media, the community, uh, it, it just even the league office had apathy towards our basketball program. And uh, you know, and to hit fast forward now and, and know that we've had six straight winning seasons. Uh, um, you know, obviously everyone talks about that run to the Final Four um, for the right reasons. It's you know, it's that's not something that too many people or too many schools get there and for that group of kids and, and for us to have done it five years in uh was great but i'm 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 li- I didn't mean to give you the whole nuts and bolts there but that's that was the journey and uh uh, uh i'm a lot grayer and bolder now than i was uh, when i took on the journey of being a college head coach uh, how many years has it been now 13? 13 13 uh, 13 years as a head coach i you know, I, I I lost my eyebrows. I've gone white. <laughs> I've got bald spots. I've uh, You know, I just had knee replacement. I mean, it's uh, this head coaching life is – I understand why Fogler stepped away at age 50-something and went to play golf for a living. I, holy <laughs> Coach,
1: I, I don't want to bring up a bad memory, but you go back to your days of Cincinnati, your, your last game there. Uh, you lost in the NIT quarterfinals to a South Carolina team. I'm just saying. I don't know if you remember
2: that, but uh, – <laughs> here's here's a true story about that game. Our point guard, Devin Downey. Devin Downey, um, right. He's our point guard at Cincinnati. And uh, Hugs had gotten the K-State, J- K-State job that afternoon. Andy Kennedy got the call that he had gotten the old Miss job about an hour and 15 minutes before the jump ball for that South Carolina game. So Devin comes down. We're down uh, uh, down three, I believe, two or three. Devin comes down, misses a shot, Uh, 10, 9. I jump off the bench, and I'm yelling, foul, foul. And AK, AK, Andy Kennedy, grabs me and says, stop. This is (laughs) over. I'm like, no, there's time. He says, no, our time at Cincinnati is over. And and,
1: uh, I know there was some controversial stuff going on there. We had heard that that day that 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 game was going to be the last game that Coach, you know, had there.
2: They walked in. How about this one? This true story. Now they, they uh, uh, we had a couple guys that were not doing great academically. Okay, now it's the postseason, which they are still eligible for. Uh, they 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 could have played for another week, and uh, um, we're in the locker room, get ready for the game, and guys are getting dressed. Administration walked in and took two of our starters: Jihad yeah, right. James White. You, know court, yep. you two guys are off the court. You're not playing today. Like, what? No, can't play today. And uh, um, so that's, that's, we kind of figured something was up uh, when they did that. And uh, uh, and, then, and then the game ended. We It was a heck of a game. I mean, South Carolina, you guys know, was real good. Renaldo Bachman, Terrence Kinsey, uh, uh, Trey Kelly. I uh, can't remember the other guard they had that was really good on that team. Um, Drone- Rocky Trice. There you go. Um, <laughs> it's they were good, and uh, 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 was it Brandon Wallace, the shop Wallace? That's yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, they were good, and um, uh, it, and to lose two starters before the game, like just now that you guys are not playing, and then. 45 minutes after the game ended, they announced Mick Cronin as a new head coach. That's right, Coach Cronin. It was all planned. We we were celebrating. There's a bar two blocks away from the the Fifth Third Arena. And AK, Hogs, me, we're all in there celebrating our new jobs. And then across the ticker, 45 minutes, we got out of there and got to the bar. 45 minutes later, it's across the ticker. Mick Cronin named head coach of Cincinnati. It was unbelievable.
1: That was crazy. I, like you said I was a big uh, I was working for South Carolina at the time. I'm a big college basketball fan and all that stuff was going on. That was a that was a crazy night. Brian, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah,
0: that atmosphere though. I mean, people talk about the NIT, like that place was absolutely bonkers. We went to Tallahassee. Was it Tallahassee after that or before? No, Tallahassee that?
1: before and then before we flipped it. It was
0: absolutely nuts. And I remember them hanging signs up there, you know, save AK and all that. And it's fascinating to hear the the backstory. <laughs> the, yeah, the bar down the street. Yeah.
2: It was unreal. It was unreal. That night was we're, – we're standing – the national anthem's being played and AK standing there with his hand over his chest and he says, it's done. You know, and I'm <laughs> standing next to him. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, it's done. I said, what's done? He says, Ole Miss offered me the job. And I'm standing there. You know, <laughs> we're so happy. That the year that we were through that year at Cincinnati was incredible. Uh, but uh, I could write a book just on that year alone.
0: that's that's absolutely incredible coach you know you know i love you to death and come in and watch practices and i I could just watch for days and days and days if i could make the time in my schedule to do it but i want to go back to one of your answers earlier about your experience getting into high school and you just fell in love with coaching what was it about coaching that just had you fall in love with it and what really keeps you
2: going now well when you're when you're trying to play um, you got no idea what coaching is all about. All you know is that somebody's being hard on you and holding you accountable and 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 sometimes yelling at you and sometimes hugging you. And, uh, and, and all you're trying to do is become a better player and help the team, you know, as a player. It's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about, well, when I'm going to – at least I never did. Well, when I'm going to coach, blah, blah, blah. I, I, that never crossed my mind. Um, and uh, – uh, when my high school coach asked me to come back and help uh, I, d- I had no idea what coaching was like or what anything. And and I'll never forget the first time I was out there, like helping him work out the guys I got in my car and left. And I was like, that's pretty powerful. I'm helping other young people understand how to succeed and and it's my neighborhood, and it's so I'm helping the younger people I grew up playing at the park with. I'm helping, and I was like, I kind of like that. And uh, I came back the next day and loved it even more. And uh, it's it's uh, what's to this day, Brian. It's you know, winning and losing games. You're a competitor. You want to win. It, you deal with the season. It is what it is. But what gets you out of bed every single day is is that the the power that coaching. It, it it fulfills your inside um, because you're giving to try and help others find success, uh, watching people improve, watching people grow. Uh, that's what it's about. I, I, I was in the gym today uh, talking to the seventh woods and I was talking about PJ Dozier, you know, cause PJ now he's earned his way into the NBA and, and he's a like rotation player, like, he played the whole fourth quarter in overtime in a playoff game. That, that means you don't do that because everyone else is hurt. You do that because you've earned somebody's trust that, to be a rotation guy. Uh, and, um, uh, and I was telling Seven, I said, I couldn't be prouder. Because from freshman to sophomore year, he made a tremendous jump. And, and his improvement was drastic. Just like Cinderius from freshman to senior year, his improvement was drastic. Uh, so it's uh, that's, that's what I'm about. I'm about watching guys get better, watching guys improve. And, I, and I'll use seventh. I, he didn't play in any games this past year. But where he was at when he showed up on campus last June to how he was playing when we shut it down in early March in practice, wow, wow. It, it was, you know, you sit there as a coach and you're like like, there you go. There you go. That young man starting to figure it out and starting to have fun with what we're doing. And um, so I'm, I'm uh, that's, that's what I fell in love with. i uh, be honest with you, you can keep the games. I mean, I, I deal with the games because it's important to, to so many people, uh, you know, fans and uh, administration and, and obviously the players. Uh, I'm at that age now where I'm not. I'm not trying to chase the greatest one-loss record in the history of mankind. I. I mean, I, come on. I. I'm just trying to keep some of the few hairs I got left on my head, um, and you know. But uh, I, I've been lucky. I've been a part of some incredible games, incredible journeys, incredible seasons. Uh, but the thing that 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 continues to drive me to to, to try and do my job is is seeing the look on a young person's face when they start figuring stuff out. And uh, as they gain confidence, watching them stick those shoulders back and stick their chest out and, 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 and attack things uh, uh, a different way than they used to.
1: Coach, that, that brings me to, to my question is now you had about 15 years as a high school coach. You've had now 20 years in college coaching. Describe the difference we and we've had college coaches and head coaches on this podcast. Describe the difference in the impact you can have on a on a high school kid and a college kid. How is that different?
2: Uh, it's completely different. Part of it, it's the rules. Um, in college, you're limited as a coach as to how much time you can be around your players because um, uh, you know everyone thinks that that they're around us for too long. We're going to impact them in a negative way because we're going to. Overwork them. I mean, what kind of society are we creating? Let's work less and expect to be more successful. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, last time I checked, the more you work, the better you get. It's not the other way around. But, you know, we've created a society now where uh, we're too difficult on people and we demand too much and expect them to work. No, 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 no. Have them work less and load management. I, who came up with that word? I don't <laughs> Load management, that's what my knees feel every year that goes by and my weight goes up 10 pounds. That's the only thing that load management comes across for. Uh, But I always felt, since I've been in college, uh, you create – you're more of an impact on the lives of young people uh, as a high school coach than you are as a college coach. Uh, They're they're more vulnerable because they're younger. They're not set in their ways. They're still uh, naive enough. They're trying to discover who they are. Uh, so they're, they're they're more willing uh, to to listen to direction and 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 uh, to to get I don't want to say shoved but kind of guided into uh, understanding how to be successful uh, when they get to college you're kind of on their way like who they are it's hard to get them out of the lane that they're already accepted that they want to live in uh, you know they're they're they're, they're kind of headed in a certain direction then you just try to help them blossom to become the best they can on that road that they've already chosen. You know, when they're, they're ninth, tenth graders, uh, you can kind of help them. If they're on path A, you can still motivate them and get them to go to path B and change the direction that they're going in. But, uh, um, but that, that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with, with those two things. They're, they're younger, so they're still uh, – I don't know if naive is the right word, but they're still looking for information. Uh, uh, even though my, my daughter, who, who plays at Ridgeview – uh, she's got more, because of the internet, she's got more information at the age of 15 than I've got at the age of 54. It's uh, it's unbelievable what these kids do with information at, at such a young age uh, because of the internet. Uh, uh, but I, I, I always felt uh, that, that you can make a bigger impact, still do, uh, on a high school person than you do on a college player, college athlete or student or whatever, maybe.
0: Yeah, so neat to see, hear your answer with that and watch kids that you've coached, especially at South Carolina. And, you know, I'm a huge South Carolina basketball fan growing up that way. And to see those lights turn on and see those guys develop into just big-time leaders and seeing Zendarius or Chris Silva just start to almost call the shots during practice and during games and where you would just develop that in those guys. And just like you said, just a little bit of a shift for, for them as people. I just think that's, uh, I think it's so incredible. I, I've got a, this is a question. I don't know if we've asked this yet on the podcast yet coach, but what do you believe is the the proper role of parents? And I'm, I'm really talking maybe high school parents and maybe even college parents too. But, you know, we've seen it over the years where, um, you know, recruiting services and everybody's got a rating now. And, and, you know, back when even when I was coaching basketball, it's my son has these skills and they're better than the, you know, and they're really, they don't have those skills. So what do you, what do you view as the proper role of parents right now?
2: Um, You know, I, Brian, I struggle. I, I don't want people to tell me how to coach. Uh, I, you know, I, people that do, I kind of just nod my head and smile, but I really pay no attention to what they're saying. Um, It's and I kind of look at it the same way towards parents. I don't think it's my place to tell somebody how they should be a parent to their child. I think uh, everyone needs to make their own decision on how they want to manage that 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 part of their life. Um, and it's uh, it's not my place to, uh, to 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 be telling somebody how they should act to be someone's dad. Uh, but when where things I believe struggle is when Uh, being a parent, uh, kind of conflicts with coaching, uh, conflicts with, uh, uh, with teachers, with coaches, you know, people that are trying to, to to educate, uh, someone else's child, uh, whether it be through a math class or a basketball practice. Uh, um, I I think the biggest problem that we have as adults, uh, when it comes to that, trying to create that marriage, uh, is the, the, as adults, we've gotten too loose with being critical of other adults in front of children, in front of young people. And, uh, you, you can't do that. I mean, it's, uh, uh, that you're, you're, you're that young person, uh, like, 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 for example, I will use my daughter as an example. If, when my daughter gets home from practice, she's frustrated with, uh, with her, her practice at the school. And I sit there and say, yeah, but you know, that's because your coach does not Really like you, she treats you differently than others. I've given her the out to, to to because I'm her dad. I've made her think that I agree with her that her coach is wrong, and uh, I, I think that's the biggest biggest problem. Uh, and th- and that goes to education too with teachers. Uh, you know that old cartoon that um, uh, it showed the, the the parent, the teacher, and the child and back in the day the child be crying the teacher be disciplining and the parent be scolding and now it's this the child is the one that's laughing and the parent is scolding the teacher in the new cartoon um you know and i i i i think it's unfortunate uh, that that's happened um and that happens in coaching all the time uh is 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 parents Interject themselves into the world of coaching, which they do not need to do. Um, I've always said this if, as a parent, you're so consumed that you should be coaching your child, then coach your child, but don't let someone else do the job of coaching. But if you're going to trust someone else to be your child's coach, then your job should be to support that coach who's giving of his or her time to help your child. Um, And uh, and then, lastly, uh, as a, as, a, as a, I'm a coach, I'm a teacher, and I'm a dad. And if I don't agree with what um, what a coach is doing in respect to my child, if you know, my job's not to speak about it in front of my child. My job is to go visit with that adult, and adult to adult in private have a conversation. And, and uh, uh, just so I can not to tell them how to do their job, so I can understand what they're trying to do, so I can be at peace as a parent that they have the best interests of my son or daughter uh, you know in mind. Uh, but that that but the world that we're in right now, where, where parents uh, want to tell the coach how to coach their child, uh, it's it, I, How would a parent like if I were to call them? And and, and it's like, hey, uh, hey, John, yeah, uh, you know, uh, you're doing a real, excuse my French, but no better way to say it. You're doing a real shitty job of raising your child. Your child came into school today, went to sleep in math class and cut his English class. And then in basketball practice today, uh, he ran around with his shorts hanging out underneath his rear end and uh, refused that. High five his teammates. And so that's a tremendous reflection of the job you've done as a dad. I mean, you know, I don't think anybody, that's not, you know, I can't be doing that to to a parent the same way a parent doesn't need to be telling a coach, uh, you know, what they're doing right and wrong. I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's the athletic director's job. To that's determine right. whether a coach is <laughs> oh, worthy you're not of not that a guy. Job <laughs> <laughs> coach, can Nothing. I can
1: I hire you when I have all my parent meetings for basketball and for school? Can I <laughs> can I hire you to be a consultant and just sit in the room with me
2: and give yeah. that answer that you gave? <laughs> you know what I used to do? I used to let parents come into practice. And and my only condition is that's my classroom. So if you're gonna come to practice, you're more than welcome. Just don't talk. If you talk I'm going to, if you disrespect my practice then I'm going to embarrass you in front of the players. So you can watch all day, you can come every day, just I'm in the middle of practice. I don't you can't be over having a conversation. Right. So so here's true stories. So what happens? Now all these parents, four, five, six of them come to practice. Well, now they're all seeing what player A does wrong in practice. And, and, you know, now we were in the game. You know what parents do. They don't sit behind the bench. They sit like in the opposite corner. So they can yell, hey, Johnny, Johnny, shoot the ball, Johnny, shoot the ball. Well, now when I take Johnny out of the game, all the parents are all in the same area. They can't get up and say, put my son in the game because they were all at practice and they know that that's what their son did at practice. That guy, that kid's son did at practice. And he got taken out of practice. That's why he's being taken out of the game. So now they got to sit there, and not say a negative word. Uh, so then it allows their child to play and, and to accept coaching. And it worked out for me. And I just, uh, I it's something that uh, I've always remembered.
1: Oh, I got to try that. Come to practice and watch your kid dog it.
2: <laughs> just, I'm telling you, it creates peer pressure amongst the parents because because now. If, if, if my son's the one that's dogging it in practice and I jump up during the game, I'm like, put my son in the game. Then you two guys are sitting there say, Frank, why don't you sit down? You were practice yesterday. You saw what happened. Let it go, man. you know. So it creates peer pressure to just shut up and support the team. <laughs> I like that. Coach, if the,
1: I, don't know, I don't know if you're a big reader. I don't know if you're a voracious reader, but if you had a book to recommend to young coaches, what would it be?
2: Hmm. Um, I'm not one of those guys that, that can rattle off all 473 books that they've read. Um, but, uh, uh there, there's, uh, the winner within by Pat Riley is mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, that, 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 that's, that's a book that impacted me at a young age, uh, as to how to have my antennas up for the good and the bad, uh, and how to, uh, you know, if, if, if those kind of things happen to Pat Riley and his team, then you better believe they're going to happen to me and my team. And I figured that out at a young age. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, I just gave it to my son. Um, and, and I'm trying to, re- it'll come to me in a second here. Uh, it's a unbelievable book, uh, about a basketball coach that's not connecting with his team. And, uh, uh, uh for God's sake, uh, God, I can't remember the first. Uh,
0: Lead, for God's sake. There you go. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the, the custodian uh, at the school uh, actually ends up being an unbelievable uh, guiding light for the veteran coach to change his ways and, 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 uh, and do a better job at adapting to his new set of players. And uh, it changes the whole team and the whole, the whole dynamic of everything. And uh, I thought that was a really, really good book uh from uh, realizing that you can't coach everybody the same way. Uh the, you know, it's uh, uh there there's teams that you can be really difficult and loud with, and there's other teams that you have to change your approach with. And that's uh, uh at the end of the day, that's education. Education is uh it's not telling people what you know, is understanding how others learn so you can best connect with them. So then you can share knowledge with them, but not uh uh but being humble enough to realize it that we're all different, but those are two books that come to mind uh, uh, right away. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those guys, like I said, that uh, that that's read a million books. Uh, um, I, I the most of the books that I do read involve some form of leadership, uh, not not so much coaching. Uh, I just read Michael Lombardi's book. Uh, he he uh, he wrote a great book about um, Bill Belichick and uh, Bill Walsh. Um, you know, and because of what he said about Bill Walsh, now I'm going to go read Bill Walsh's book. Um, it's, uh, th- th- those are the kind of books I read. Was
1: it the one, was it the Mike Lombardi one where he talks about how to put together an organization? Yes.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, am I'm, I'm telling you, that's how bad of a reader I am, that even the books I do like that I read, I don't remember their titles. I uh, have I that. Mem- I, I remember that their content.
1: Somewhere and I read it. I read it like three or four years ago. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. But yeah, Brian, it was Michael Lombardi's an NFL reporter and, and it was how to structure an organization, whether it be a high school basketball team, a professional football team, just how you organize everything. It's really good.
0: That's well, maybe between Coach and I, we can actually remember the books. I can remember the titles, I just can't remember the content a lot of the time. I feel like it's in me, but I can't really point to it. And so, anyway, maybe we can work together somehow. But anyway, all right, Coach, you know, the name of the game, uh, name of the podcast is The Greatest Game. So, at this point in the show, we'd love to hear about a game or two, uh, that the greatest game that you have ever been a part of.
2: Man, I, I uh, you know, when you're a part of, uh, in 16 years of high school basketball, eight state championships, um, uh, you're part of some incredible high school games. Uh, and then in college, uh, when you work for someone like Bob Huggins, um, uh, you're, you're around some incredible ball. Uh, when you're fortunate enough to make an Elite Eight at K-State or, or, or Final Four here in South Carolina, it means that, once again, you've been a part of some – you know, that, that I've been a part of some incredible games. And uh, uh, the games that immediately, anytime that's that's said to me, that just jump out, uh, that that probably have impacted me the most, is uh, um, in high school in 1987, uh, we're playing a team led by Chris Corchiani. And uh, my high school, Miami Senior, which uh, is the winningest high school in the history of the state of Florida, had gone through a drought. We had not been to the state final four since 1966. And now it's 1980s. Now it's 1987. So it's been 21 years since we had gone to the state final four. And uh, we're playing Chris's team to go to the, the the final four. And, um, uh, and it was an incredible game. Uh, we, uh, we come up with a big time steal and Doug Edwards is on my staff now, uh, up one with, uh, about four seconds to go, makes two free throws. And, uh, uh, the, the, it's it's a madhouse. It is people on top of people on top of people. And now they were all surrounding the court. Um, and uh, uh, they throw the ball inbounds. And the referees didn't hear, excuse me, the table didn't hear the referees whistle. They had stopped the game because Miami Lakes, where Chris played that had called a timeout as soon as they got the inbounds pass. Uh, but no one heard the whistle, so they started the clock. Clock ran out, buzzer sounded. The crowd, everyone rushed. They picked me up. Fans were picking me up, picking players up. Uh, Here's here's how crazy it was. They picked me up and my shoes fell off. And then they clear the court because the the referees basically said, game's not over, you know. So they clear the court. And I'm on the sideline with no shoes on. My shoes were nowhere to be found. Uh, and then they, they throw a ball in bounds. There's no three point line, so they couldn't make a three. They threw a ball in bounds, just heaved one up there, missed. They rushed the court again, and it was Madhouse again. That that game was incredible. And um, they take their socks off then? No, no. The <laughs> socks were glued to my feet with the sweat they had. <laughs> they, um,
1: now, Doug Edwards, coach, Brian loves my knowledge of stuff. Doug Edwards played at Florida State, correct?
2: That's exactly right. For Pat That's Kennedy. Exactly. He, that's exactly right. He, him, Rodney Dobart, Sam Cassell.
1: Yeah. Uh, Bob
2: Surra. Charlie Ward, Bob Surra. Ward, that that, there were some great Florida state teams in the early nineties. Yeah. exactly right. Um, and, uh, uh, and then in college at K state, uh, my first year as a head coach, uh, we're playing Kansas. They're number two in the country. Kansas have beaten K state at K state, 25 consecutive years. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, we went out and three freshmen, Michael Beasley, Bill Walker, and Jacob Poland controlled the game. Kansas had seven, seven NBA players on their team. And uh, those three guys controlled the game for us. Uh, we won and uh, uh, kind of uh, solidified that team and um, you had we, three you
1: had three NBA players on that team, Coach. It's not like you team. weren't
2: devoid of talent. <laughs> no, no, no. We had three NBA. No, no. I yeah, wasn't complaining about having Michael B and Bill Walker, but Kansas had seven. Seven guys that were that's unbelievable. NBA not not guys that like drank a cup of coffee in the NBA, guys that like played like real roles in the NBA. But uh, uh, uh but that game was incredible. Uh, game ended. When, you know, they rush the court uh, crazy uh, and then go in the locker room to address the team, come back out to do my radio show. The fans had not left. It's just people on top of people on top of people uh, doing my radio show with like fans standing on the table, like standing behind me uh, and then uh, seeing passion, seeing uh, old, young uh, college students uh, retired from work. Crying Google gaga tears because you beat your rival that you had not beaten at home in 25 years. Uh, and then obviously, uh, you hit fast forward and uh, come to South Carolina. Uh, some some games, um, the, the obvious games is that Duke game and the Florida game. The Florida game, not so much because of the opponent, but the fact that you're going to the Final Four. Are you kidding me? In Madison Square Garden and, and that whole, the emotion that, that you're overcome with there. Uh, the Duke game for, all the obvious reasons Uh, it's duke it's coach k uh it's uh the flag had gone down earlier in the year which then allowed us to to host an ncaa tournament uh because that you remember those games were supposed to take place up in the greensboro area uh, but Mm -hmm. they didn't pass a certain thing up there so then they took it away and placed it in greenville for us and um uh, and not for us just our state had taken the flag down, so then we can do it. So all the all everything that went into that game, um, uh, being able to to advance to Sweet 16, beat Duke, uh, um, uh, you know where we were at as a program, uh, incredible. Uh, and then the other the other game that that kind of jumps out at me uh, in my time here, in South Carolina, was uh, during my second year, Cindarius' uh, freshman year. Uh, Kentucky came to town, and and you know we had struggled. We we had not been a very good team my first year. Uh, we we played hard, but that doesn't make you a good team. And then my second year, we were real young, and you know just mistake after mistake, and 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 not knowing how to win, and not being tough enough yet. And uh, and then that night, uh, for whatever reason, uh, being able to beat Kentucky, uh, I thought gave um, our fans hope that you know what. This has happened before, but this one felt a little different, and uh, and, and it gave Sendarius and Dwayne Notice and, and that group of freshmen and Carrera and Mendogas, the sophomores, uh, the courage to believe that 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 this guy here that that dumb enough to to take the hard road, the difficult road, um, believed in them enough that we can go out there and win games.
1: Coach, now talk about um, maybe what <coughs> you say after those games. You just talked about beating Kansas. Kentucky and Duke legit. I think they're three of the five or four winningest programs of all time. These schools have been great forever. Not just, they're not Johnny come lately's, you know, do you, do you make your kids understand that, 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 you know, and not that you think coach K is a better coach than you, or he's got a better program, but I mean, it's, you know, Duke's a flagship university in college basketball. Kentucky's a flagship university in college basketball. How do you, Get the kids to appreciate what they just accomplished.
2: Uh, it's hard to do in the regular season because uh, there's always another game, and um, uh, in, in the NCAA tournament, it's a little easier because uh, the other team' season's over. Uh, but you're still playing, so you still got to focus in on, on on staying humble enough to to be ready to play the next one. Uh, but but as the season ends uh, and you reflect. I think that's where those conversations take place with our players. Um, I I know that's when I reflect that every one of those games against those schools, Syracuse or bayheim another great win for us. Uh, When we beat Michigan, when they came into town, they were top 20 in the country with with Coach Beeline. Um, You know, all those games. I've been on the sideline, and before the game starts, I kind of look down to the other bench, and I see these guys that I've been rooting for as coaches since I was like a young kid, and I'm saying – what the heck am I doing on the sideline Get ready to coach against Coach K? I mean, like, are you kidding me? Or, or Bayheim or Huggs. I coached against Bob Huggins when I was at K-State. And uh, um, uh, so the same way I reflect on it for myself when the season ends, uh, that's what I try to do with our players, uh, to make them understand uh, the journey that they were on. Uh, I, I, I think if we get overly uh, – I, I, this is my personal opinion. Uh, when you're in the middle – of it, if you start trying to reflect on the good and the bad, then you're, attack, you're attaching all your emotions to the last day and the previous day, which then doesn't allow you to be at your best the next day uh, because you're still too emotionally attached to the previous day. Uh, so my big thing is all those lessons should be giving us confidence is the way I try to teach and prepare a team. Um, so we can maximize who we are from a confidence standpoint at the end of the year. But when the season ends, now you go into reflection because then that team will never be the same again. Now you can enter into reflection and make guys understand like nobody can ever take this away from you, man. The, the way you took on this challenge and that challenge, uh, uh, you know the the way you guys stared down Duke nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball, and and Duke gave you one of their better shots early in the game, and you guys didn't flinch, and and yet. Your your courage to stay together and and to go make bigger and better plays uh, to to overcome them in a, in an elimination game uh, don't ever let anyone take that away from you that's I usually do that more when the season ends in reflection
1: coach mm-hmm. so just a quick funny story coach you talked about the national anthem and looking down there sometimes right you see Jim Beheim or Coach Sheffsy guys you know seventy nine wins whatever it is they have. Dave Odom told me a great story once when he first got to Wake Forest as an assistant in the 70s. And they're playing NC State with Norm Sloan. Uh And his head head coach, Carl Tacey, says – don't look at Sloan during the national anthem. So, you tell someone, don't look, what are they going to do? They're going to look. And, oh, and Coach Odom says, I look down. And Norm Sloan doesn't look at the flag. He just stares at the opposing team the entire time just to intimidate them. He said, I'm a brand new, my first college coaching job. And <laughs> Sloan's just staring me down. <laughs> hey,
2: and here, here's, and, and may God bless their souls, both of them. But when Norm was the head coach of Florida, He'd do the same thing. He'd stare <laughs> the opponent down while his wife was singing the national anthem, and she was awful—like awful. She, her—it was incredible how bad she was. But but they, she'd sing at every game, and he'd stand there exactly stare what you're down. saying. He'd stare everyone down on the other side. It's uh, uh old Coach Sloan, incredible.
0: Coach, that Kentucky game. Did Calipari get tossed from that game? Yeah, did, did, yeah, I, think I remember yeah. that game. That you know that just I think about those times. And again, I, I'm 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 trying to take my glasses off as a as a born and bred South Carolina basketball fan, and it's just really hard to do. But I remember that night seeing him get tossed and thinking like, yeah, this 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 Frank Parton guy, he's the, he's the guy, and I can't can't help but think you got Thorwell on, on that group right there. And then that, that group to be able to go to the Final Four in 2017. That had to just be – it really had to be a marker for them. But I'm almost thinking for you guys as a staff to be like, oh, we, we, yeah, yeah we can do this here at South Carolina. And what you've been able to do here, like you said, six straight years of consecutive winning seasons in the Final Four has just been – it's just been incredible. I just just had to say that as a, as a Gamecock I, fan.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it, Brian. You know, it's been – Brian, it's been a little frustrating because uh, uh, my fourth year we went to the NIT – and then, uh, obviously, fifth year, NCAA Final Four, uh, that, we, we, that we weren't able to finish this past year because we were going to be a postseason team this past year. And, and everything we do, you know, is, is, is based on postseason results. That's where, uh, um, it, like, uh, people forget how good those two years with Eddie Fogler, South Carolina, was. But no one gives those two teams credit because of the early losses in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the, what that tournament does. Just like I thought that Final Four team for us was really good, but we dealt with so many injuries and nonsense and monos. and I, It's unbelievable during the year, it was hard for us to be consistent. And then coming down the stretch, I think we lost four out of six or something coming down the stretch uh, where we played okay, but we still lost. But now you go to the final four run and no one remembers the struggles of the regular season. But, you know, with, with the, the, the like I said, the opposite's also true. And uh, so I, I, wanted to get into postseason this past year uh, to just so everyone starts feeling uh, like here we go again. Cause I really think that our team's pretty good again. And uh, uh, we, we had to kind of rebuild a little bit uh, after uh, the final four um, uh, it, you know losing p j was kind of understood. uh I kind of prepared for that, but then not only did we lose pj but we lost for Kim Felder uh, and then the transfer we took and Corey Holden got hurt, and Hassani grabit didn't pan out at the point, so we were trying to figure out how to play him best and so that following year after the final four, it was just kind of uh, you know we lost too much to, to you know we we just worked to survive that year, and we did. Uh, but it wasn't quite good enough to get into postseason. And, uh, um, you know, and then the not this past year, not the season ended soon, the year before, uh, you know, we had a winning record. And I thought we we had a better NIT resume than three of the teams that got into the NIT. But for whatever reason, we got left out. And it is what it is. It's not, it's not crying, not whining. It's just we got left out. And uh, I remember late in the year, we went into Missouri because uh, we're right in the in the you you guys remember that Alabama game we're right in right in it to um, to really flip the season and make ourselves an NCAA tournament team and we got a lead against Alabama and AJ Lawson comes up with the steal and as he's going up to shoot the layup he steps on the guy's foot shreds his ankle now we lose him for the year now we end up losing that game and then go to Missouri the next game with seven players. We're in layup lines. We're a Division One basketball program. We got seven guys making layups and warmups. I'm like, I'm like this. You walk in the locker room to address the team. There's only seven guys sitting there. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> but but you know, it's uh, it's just the the hand we were dealt. And I thought the guys were great. The way they managed it to, to get to the finish line. And uh, so I'm excited. I think I think we got a chance to be a real good basketball team again. Uh, you know, to, to, at what depth and what height, I got no idea. I just know that we got really good players and, and we got depth and, and, and uh, uh, consistency and courage and all the ingredients that, that you need to uh, to have a good team. Coach, uh, you may
1: have some work for your SID to do. I want to find out if there's any other current college coach that has a win against Kansas, Duke, and Kentucky. I'm trying to – I'm racking my brain here. Someone like Jim Beheim, might, but he's coached 147 years. <laughs> so – but uh, you might be – you need to get your i d on that one.
2: Well, we got one against, you know, Tony Bennett. Got one against uh, Syracuse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, got one against Michigan. We, we, we've been – I just – I did something in my office because uh, uh, I don't think – the successes that we've had get celebrated the way they should. Uh, and, and, and part of it is that we haven't had all these – we've had the one run in postseason play, but not multiple years of postseason. If you come in my office now, uh, I've put a basketball. Every time we've beaten a top 25 team uh, since I've been here, there's a basketball representing that game. And and there's like, I don't know, 14, 15 basketballs uh, set up across – on a straight line across the, the, the line of the ceiling and um, kind of stand there and look at it. And, you know, I, I was a part of every one of those. And I stand there every day I walk in, I look at them and I'm like, we've done all right. You know, <laughs> we've done okay. We, we got a lot more to do and, and we got to be a lot better, but up to this point we've done okay.
1: Coach you're world renowned for some of the things you say and uh, your colorfulness. So we'll try to keep this as, as, less colorful as possible. But if I asked Donis Haslam who played for you 20 years ago, and I ask uh, Justin Manaya, who's played for you these last couple of years, what's one thing, if you, can, if you can narrow down to one, they would say that Coach Martin says all the time, like a phrase or a saying.
2: Oh, God.
1: Um. It doesn't have to begin with F.
2: It doesn't. <laughs> no, that th- those I can give you like – a hundred hundred of those phrases I can give you right away no i, I um get your head up I mean that's something that, that that everyone that's played for me has heard me say it over and over um uh, you're better than that that's that's another uh another line that I know I use a lot um there's uh uh basketball terminology. Uh, I uh, pass the ball. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys that hold the ball drive me crazy. That's oh, so, the worst. So you 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 come to our practice. You'll you'll hear me yell, "Pass the ball!" Like a lot. Uh, um, but I you know I I don't know. I, I, I some good I, ones. Those are good. Yeah, I, it's uh um. Th- there's there's listen. There you go that's that's <laughs> people want to know what my pet peeve is, is when someone's speaking and people don't pay attention. somebody is actually trying to share knowledge with you to help you, but you don't care enough to listen and and that drives me nuts I, I think that's the uh, the two the two most selfish things is when someone's speaking and you choose not to listen or when you have something to share and you choose to keep it to yourself and you don't you don't allow your voice to uh, to share information, so um, uh, those those are some things that are pretty consistent with uh, an everyday life around Frank in basketball uh, kind of goes.
0: I love the you're better than that the listen all of that just Coach, it's just in line with who you are and my experience of you and I, I, one quick story as we wrap up here i we were at a practice, I don't know, it was four, five, six years ago, and one of our young coaches that was an assistant at Ridgeview at the time uh, came with us, and he's a head coach now at a, at a big school in South Carolina. But he was just young, kind of cutting his teeth, and he said, you were, you were teaching something, and it was really about like, really self-pity. Uh, uh, I don't know what group it was. It was just kind of hanging their heads and just kind of giving up in a drill. And and he said, you know, he looked at me, he said, Coach, I don't I, I can't say what he's saying. I can't I can't say it. I said, but but listen to what he's saying. He he is being one hundred percent honest with these guys, basically saying, like you said, you're better than that. And you're doing it in a way that's getting through to the core of them and just like you said earlier, just getting us to a little bit of a shift to get them out of their heads a little bit, get them out of their own way. And I just Anyway i just i love the job you do I love you as a as a coach and as a person and just i can't thank you enough for for coming on the show this is going to help a lot of people and we put this out here it's just I just can't thank you enough
2: <laughs> absolutely absolutely i appreciate your words brian it's uh, uh we're all educators man and you know we we we, we teach we 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 try to inspire uh, i think all of us have been through it we we comprehend that uh, the journey's kind of difficult it's not a walk in the park. Um, it's uh, somebody just text me, I guess an old video, uh, one of my press conferences, uh, that, that, uh, I guess people started sharing on social media today. And a friend of mine texted to me, he says, this is, he texted me, he goes, this is why I love you. It's uh, you know, I said something along the lines, like, you know, sometimes you get out of the bed in the mornings, you got the sniffles, you still got to go to work or you end up on the unemployment line. And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, we, 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 we understand those things. Uh, that's why we're the age that we're at. And, uh, and, and that's why we're in places that we're, we're always trying to share what we know with others and, and, and trying to get young people to comprehend that. And uh, uh, so it's, uh, that's the journey. That's the fight. Um, you know, some people fight with their fists. Some people fight negativity. I fight to educate, I fight to get young people to listen and grow and that's that's uh those are my daily fights and I guess that 's why i 'm great you know if I was still fighting i 'd have black eyes and you know, but you know my nose can 't be any bigger than it is already, so that's <laughs> that's uh, uh you know, that's that's that this nose here that's the the kind of the the Italian kind of side of the family from Spain
0: <laughs> well. And the good news is you get to kind of decompress with Coach Fogler. And you mentioned him earlier, and, you know, like I said, we were approaching our, our 50th episode. We are efforting. We are uh, we, we, we might have uh, – we'll see who our, our 50th uh, guest is going to be here. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, that remains That'd that be center, great. But, but, uh, That'd be great. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up here. And, uh, Coach, again, thanks for coming on. But for my co-host, Chris Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games.